You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Can we give our worship team a round of applause? Tell them we appreciate them. It's good to see my wife on the guitar. It was like a little, like, a little sexy. Had to give me some ideas. <laughs> some people don't know if they can laugh about that. Uh, anyway. Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Welcome. If this is your first time, uh, let's welcome all of our first-time guests as well. We just welcome you here. Thanks for coming. In case you didn't know, my name is Braden. I'm one of the pastors here. My wife and I actually started this campus over eight years ago, and uh, it wasn't but about a few years ago that the Lord began to talk to us about uh, expanding our assignment a little bit, and so we moved to Lubbock uh, to help Keith and Natalie plant the, the second campus, and uh, really anxious to see kind of how the Lord, in a good way, I think, see how the Lord kind of finishes this, this thing. He's given us seven cities in, in Texas and, and even one in eastern New Mexico as well to uh, plant seven churches over the next 10 years. And so uh, we, we got after it. He forgot to tell us COVID was coming, so that was a bit of a curveball. And so, uh, but it, nonetheless, it's been quite miraculous what's happened in Lubbock, but even I think even more miraculous uh, watching what's happening here in Midland still, uh, you know, we, when I come back, I see new faces. I see, I even see faces that I've seen before carrying weight in the spirit that I'm not used to seeing them carry. And so that's always encouraging to seeing people growing up and, and stepping up and, and, and manning their posts, so to speak. So uh, very, very thankful. I, if, if I've never said it public to you, publicly to you, I'm very appreciative for this church and, and every single one of you here is so faithful that, to serve and give and tithe and pray. And I was talking to a, a guy in the foyer um, in the, between the first and second service and he said, hey, something you said uh, in the first service, just it was so confirming to me because we pray for you every night and it's not lost on me. That's very humbling to think that someone takes time out of their schedule to pray for my wife and I and the leadership of this church. And so I just, whatever role you're playing in making this thing as incredible as it is, uh, it's not every church, I get to travel some, it's not every church you get to walk into and just feel the manifest presence of God and His goodness just so evident and, and so obvious. And so uh, I appreciate your part in that. And so uh, anyway, I, I'm going to, we've got a bit of a, a, the clocks are freezing up. And so if I preach for an hour and a half, I apologize in advance. I set a little reminder on my phone. So. Uh, when it's time for me to be quiet, Henry, just turn my, my mic off. But anyway, glad you're here. If you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to jump right in. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you've been here very long at all or listened to me much, uh, you may know that Ephesians chapter 4 is kind of a go-to for me. In Ephesians chapter 4, I feel like personally I find a lot of my, uh, my assignment, my marching orders uh, from the Lord. And so I want to read that for just a second. Well, I want to read that and then for just a second cover a couple of things that I think are pertinent to where we're headed today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he give these? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, 
but rather speaking the truth in love, may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. You may have heard this, this before, uh, heard it talked about, the fivefold office of ministry. And um, it's an interesting thing, uh, just a, a little brief thing here. There's only three lists, if you will, in Scripture of gifts. There's three different lists of gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 lists these five gifts. Romans chapter 12 uh, has seven gifts. And then I think there's 12 or 13 in First Corinthians 12. Uh, th- it's interesting because each one of these gifts represents part of the Trinity. And so here in chapter, or here in Ephesians chapter 4, these are actually the Christ gifts or the Jesus gifts. And what's unique about these is the role that they play. Jesus is called the groom. The church is called the bride. The groom is gone for a little while, but when the groom returns, he's coming back for a bride. But while he's gone, like any good husband would do, he's left some, some people, some gifts, some offices, if you will, uh, and their job is to take care of the wife, equip and edify, or actually equip and train those uh, in, in the body of Christ to edify and do the work of the ministry there in the body. And so it's interesting because for me personally, and not every person is called to this. I, I want to briefly touch on this because there's some of you in this room that probably are. You, you, there's something in you that you are known. When, when you read about this, when you hear people talk about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, there's something in you that just is drawn to that. I remember when I was young, I, just, I was so drawn to ministry and didn't even have a good reason why I was drawn to ministry. I think I was around the age of 11 or 12 or so, and there was a particular uh, spiritual leader that my family followed, and he, had a, he put out a tape. Back then it was tapes, and uh, he had a tape that was basically a biography, or an autobiography, if you will, of his life and how him and his wife got into ministry. It wasn't a teaching. It was just him telling his story. And something about it just, it so captivated me that in a way that was very unexplainable. Uh, and so every night for, I don't know, over a year, I would listen to that tape over and over again about this guy just telling his story. There's something, there's something that you'll know. Well, there, in some of us, there's something that's just pulling us and you just know, I'm called, I'm called to ministry. I remember uh, wrestling with this even later on when I was in college and uh, I, I knew... I. I'd kind of said yes to, to ministry. I was like, okay, I, clearly I'm called to ministry and, and, and wanted to say yes to it. But it was interesting that I told, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I know I'm called to ministry and I will literally do anything you ask me to do except for pastor. I just don't, if you could just keep me out of that, I'm good. And um, here we are. But um, I'll remember, I remember when I was in college, I was playing baseball and uh, I, was, I told the Lord, I said, um, I, I, I'll just say yes. I promise you, I'll say yes to any opportunity you give me to preach. If you've called me to preach, I'll say yes. And I just remember thinking, he can't do this because I'm, no one even knows I'm around. And so uh, the next week, one of my players on my team came up to me and goes, hey, this might be a funny thing to ask, but uh, I was telling my pastor about you, and he was wondering if you might come and preach at our church. And I was like, really? He does, huh? And it was a Wednesday night service, and it was a Southern Baptist church. I never, I never been a part of a Southern Baptist denomination. Never even been to a Southern Baptist church before. Had heard some things, but wasn't really sure what I was getting myself into. So a little bit nervously, I said yes and went and showed up on this Wednesday night. Never met the pastor until I got there. And when I got there, he he grilled me. It was the it was the most uncomfortable thing I think I'd ever been through at the time. And he's like, "So what are, what are you going to preach on?" And uh, I started kind of mumbling my way through it. And, 
he said, well, I just want you to know, I know what you, I know what kind of church you go to and I know the things that you believe and I'm pretty sure you know we don't believe any of that stuff. And he goes, and I, I'm, I'm certain that you're respectful enough that you wouldn't come into my church and preach something I don't believe in. And I was like, man, I'm glad to be here. I just want you to know I'm really, really glad to be here. Honored to get to be here. And I, I mean, I, I, so I preached and I mean, it was the worst message any human has ever preached. I hated it. The people had to have hated it. And I just remember being so uncomfortable. I was sweating profusely and I was so aware of how much I was sweating. Like I literally was like sweats dripping off the front of my eyebrows. And I'm like, this is the worst. There is no oil on this whatsoever. There is no grace, no anointing on this. And, and I kind of thought, see, the, that'll teach the Lord to ever ask me to preach ever again, you know. I just ruined his witness for about 50 people tonight. And um, so I kind of thought that was done. The very next week, another player on our team came to me and goes, hey, so uh, my pastor was talking to me and he heard that you preached for Brown's church and he was wondering if you'd come preach for ours. And I'm like, did he listen to the message? Did he, did he hear what happened? Like, it was terrible. And I just was so like, this can't be right. And but I told the Lord I'd say yes to any opportunity. That was about where my faith, my faith was at the time. And so I said yes, and I went, this was a Sunday morning, actually. And uh, the two experiences couldn't have been any more different. I remember when I got there, just the energy in the room was completely different. It was interesting. There was, it was another Southern Baptist church, and so I kind of was trying to prepare myself for what I was walking into. But this one was completely different, and there was just a life in there. There was a joy in that room, and the little, little country, it was, I mean, the whole church was as big as this center section, and I mean, just was absolutely packed, and it's one of those old country churches. Everybody's parked in the grass. There wasn't no parking lot. Everybody's parked in the grass, and um, I, I, I preached, and it was just they laughed at all my jokes. I didn't fumble up the scriptures. I mean, it was just one of those days. And I remember I gave the altar call. One of the, the Lord reminded me of this the other day. I gave the altar call and uh, had everybody close their eyes and bow their head because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And I, I gave the altar call and there was a little lady on the front left, I'll never forget it. And she was probably, I don't know, close to 80, 85 years old, somewhere in that range. And she gave her life to the Lord. And I, I remember just being so moved. I'm like, I... My yes played a part in this. And after the service, the lady came up to me and she said, uh, I've been coming to this church for 40 or 50 years. I can't remember exactly what she said, but I've been coming here for a long time and I've never heard the gospel until today. And it was one of those moments where it just felt like a little nudge from the Lord, like you just keep saying yes, I'll take care of the rest. And for some of you in here, there are assignments, calls on your life. Uh, you went for it once, it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, and the Lord's just every now and then nudging you again saying, just say yes, just say yes. And for many, especially young people, there's a call on your life to go into ministry and, and be a part of what we're reading here in Ephesians chapter 4. And I, I would just encourage you, don't, one, don't overestimate, well, let me say it a different way, don't underestimate the season of preparation in your life. Uh, a lot of people feel called to ministry, and they assume that a calling means to go. And according to scripture, you're not supposed to go into ministry. You're supposed to be sent into ministry. And when I felt this call in my life, I remember submitting this to multiple spiritual leaders. And I waited until they saw on my life what I felt. And, and, I, and I got a commissioning. And there, was a, there, there were leaders in my life saying, you're ready. You should do this. In fact, this church wouldn't be here if it weren't for a pastor in my life saying, hey, I think you need to plant a church. It wasn't even my idea. And so a lot of what God's done in our church has been because I just allowed someone to send us and send me and my wife into ministry. We didn't just get a call from God and go. And you go back and look at the life of David. David was anointed by Samuel at the age of 12 to be the next king of Israel. But between the time of 12 
and the age of 30, which is actually when he became the king of Israel, it was 18 years there, there was a lion to kill, there was a bear to kill, there was a Goliath to kill, there was a king to play the harp for, there was a king to serve, even when the king was trying to kill him. There were all these things and, and, and this, this preparation that he had to go through. And I feel fully persuaded, I'm fully persuaded that part of the reason David, even though he made so many mistakes, so many mistakes along the way, David was, one of, David was the king that it said of him, he was a man after God's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And there was, there's so much about even the preparation stages that I think prepared him to, even though when he made mistakes, to continue to pursue the heart of God. Uh, he was the one that took up the offering for his son Solomon to build the first temple for the Lord. Uh, they say it's the largest offering in history. I think someone calculated it up, like how many billions of dollars it was when you look at all the gold and the silver that was collected for this particular temple. And so uh, don't, don't bypass the season of preparation. Uh, I heard someone said the other day, it's like, man, I just, I don't know if I can do this any longer. I've been waiting on the Lord for like a year. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> bro. Um, so just don't, don't, don't under, underestimate that. And for some of you, uh, oftentimes I should say the length of season of preparation is also usually equivalent to the size of the assignment. A lot of preparation means a lot of responsibility. And so some of you are just like, man, I can't believe it's taken this long. Well, just don't worry about it. It's just because there's a big calling. The Lord's just working out some things, and you just stay faithful. So uh, we good with that? Let's, uh, let's move on. I, I, I bring that up a little bit because as someone in, who I feel called to the fivefold office, and I've, I've had people say, you know, kind of affirm that in me, one of the things it talks about is we're called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So I don't take that lightly um, my job as an equipper, I have a dual role. I'm, a, I'm an equipper of the saints in my role in this office, but I'm also just a normal person like you guys. I'm actually called to do certain things. And so uh, I, there's a bit of a duality there. But as it pertains to my role as an equipper, I think it's one of the things I feel the most pressure, uh, especially on a Sunday morning. And when you don't anymore, I, you know, I get most, most of the time I get to preach in each campus once. And I feel this immense weight of like, okay, Lord, what would you have me say today? Like what, what is the, not just a thing I could say, what is the thing I should say? And, and I, I take a lot of, that's a very heavy weight on us. And um, I, not too long ago, I felt like the Lord began to talk to me out of 1 Corinthians 13. And basically what he showed me was there was nothing more important to equip his people with than love. There is no, there's nothing more to be equipped in than love. And I want to read a scripture in, uh, that's some trash. I want to read a scripture here in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me Nothing. Now that's a pretty fascinating scripture because I think if you were to line some of those things up, uh, I did this the first service, I'll use Neil as an example. Let's just say we were describing Neil and we use some of these things that we just read and we say, let me tell you, let me tell you about something about Neil. Neil's a guy that speaks in the tongue of men and of angels. Neil can prophesy so accurately. He has all knowledge, not some, all knowledge, all wisdom, all faith. He can speak to mountains and they'll move. 
Neil's so selfless, he'll, he'll give literally, multiple times I've seen him do it, he's given everything he had to the poor and multiple times he's gone overseas into countries where they were fixing to kill him if he didn't you know, confess or Jesus was not real, Jesus was not Lord. Neil is just this incredible, incredible guy. If I were to say those things about him, we would assign probably the label of mature believer to Neil. We would say, man, Neil is amazing. Neil is so mature. But according to the scripture, if Neil is all of those things, but he doesn't have love, he is not mature. In fact, the scripture says he's nothing. And that's a very interesting thing because we believe in this. We, we, we take time every Sunday. Uh, you'll notice, we, we call it, well, I say you, may, you notice it. We, you may or may not notice it, but uh, several years ago now, we realized that we were always asking the Holy Spirit to show up in our service, but he wasn't on our service schedule. He didn't have a spot. And so if he wanted a place to speak, he had to interrupt us. And I think we just realized that's not really the way this thing's supposed to work. And so we created time. We call it ministry time. And we leave 10 or 15 minutes there where it's like, Holy Spirit, this is yours. You fill it with whatever you want. You know, uh, Emily was up here today. She gave some prophetic words. Every, every moment's different. But it's really a place for the Holy Spirit to, to move. And, and oftentimes we operate in these gifts of the Spirit. We offer, off, operate in words of knowledge or words of wisdom or faith. or we, we operate in those things, prophecy. So it's not that we don't believe in these things. But even this morning I was reminding our team what exactly these gifts are. These gifts are not to show people how mature we are. The, the, the reason for prophecy isn't to impress. The reason we surrender our bodies to the Holy Spirit and the gifts that come with the Holy Spirit is because the Lord wants to use, God wants to use you and the gifts of the Spirit to administer love to his people. The reason we do these things is so that love can get to you. That through a word of knowledge you might feel known for the first time and feel the love of God and come over you. Through a prophetic word, you might see some, something about your future, see something about yourself. That's what that word prophet means. It's a seer. A, a, a prophetic word is someone seeing into your life. Sometimes we, it's like you can't even explain it when someone gives a prophetic word, even if it doesn't all the way make sense. When some of it does, the fact that you just are known, you feel the love of God. The goal for even these gifts is to administer the love of God. And that's what the scripture's talking about here. He's redefining what maturity is. And he even goes in verse 11. He said, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. He's using this, this analogy of love and he's saying there's all this other stuff that's almost childish in comparison to love. Obviously, those things are not childish. But in comparison to love, they are. And when he talks about maturing and growing up, he's giving He's, he's, he's saying that love is the picture of maturity. Love is the picture of someone who's actually mature. You ever, uh, I got into watching those survival shows for, for a while. You ever watched, I think one of them's called Alone, where they like take someone off into the wilderness and uh, they drop them off and the last man standing wins this money. There's all those survival shows. If you're married, I, I'm going to tell you something, I, a conversation, if y'all ever watched these together. I promise you these are conversations you and your husband have had. Wives, you've had to listen to your husband rethink what he should have brought. It's like, oh, no, no, he, he should not have brought that hatchet. He should, there's def, that hatchet's not going to work out. In fact, in that little shelter he's building, he, he should have not gone with the A-frame. I'm telling you, those A-frame, they just don't work. He needs to do a lean-to. He need, and and it, something about men, we just love like, the, the concept of that. And it is pretty fascinating. I do the same thing. I, I would do it with Leanne. I'm like, no, shouldn't have brought that fishing string. Should have brought a gill net. I'm telling you, it's the, all about the gill nets. You know? And uh, so y y you watch these shows, and, and you see all the different things that they bring and, 
And, and all these things are important, but in every one of these shows, you would know this, even if you haven't watched the shows, there is one thing that if they don't get figured out in the first three days, it's over, and that's water. If they, maybe they don't know how to build a fire yet. There's other ways to stay warm. There's, they, they can go with food for a lo, without food for a long time. They'll eat bugs or whatever. But there is one thing that if they don't figure out this thing with water, they're not going to make it beyond three days. They cannot survive. I propose to you that love is like the water of the kingdom. You can have all this other stuff, but if you don't have love, you will not survive. You cannot be used. I, um, I didn't know this at first. When the first, uh, several months ago, I had a vision, and at first I thought it was mostly for me. There were some things I felt like the Lord was showing me about some things in my own life. But the longer I've, I've meditated on this, this vision that I feel like I had, that was from, I feel like was from the Lord, the more I believe it's actually more of a prophetic um, picture of some seasons that are changing. And at a minimum, I'll say just for our, our church, I think for the larger church as well, but... Um, in this vision, I, I saw this, like, it was like a Roman warrior. It was, it was set back in, like, in, in those days, like 300, you know. And it was this guy coming back from war, and he still had his, all of his stuff on. He had a sword in his left hand. And you could still see like a, a combination of blood and sweat running down, running down him. And there was, there was this, well, I was keenly aware of the, the frame of mind he was in. That was what I felt like the Lord was showing me is it was this warrior coming home and I knew that he was coming home to be with his family and to be with his wife, but he was still just kind of fresh off the battlefield. And I don't know if you've ever been in like a war, uh, and for most of us we haven't, but let's just say if you've ever been in a fight. Raise your you ever been in a fist fight? I wanna see, who, I wanna see the ladies raise their hand. That's who I wanna know. Which one of you ladies been punching folks? You know? You know how when you're in a fist fight, like you just kind of black out? Like you just kind of go bonkers. Like you just, I mean, it's like another part, this adrenaline rush hits you. And the next thing you know, you're just, it's like the fight thing or the fight or flight thing. Either you're going to run or you're a fighter. And if you're a fighter, like you don't stop until it's over. And then you, when everything kind of calms down, you kind of have to be reminded of everything that just happened, you know? And I, I, I think sometimes we have that. I remember uh, when we first moved here over 10 years ago, um, we were, we were living in a rental house on the south side of Lubbock. We were pastoring another church. And um, love it, south side of Midland and uh, north side of Midland. And we were sitting there, we had a two story house, and all of a sudden, in the, it's like two o'clock in the morning, and Leanne wakes me up. She goes, Hey, there's a guy outside screaming at our at our, outside our house. And I go to the window, and there's this lunatic, and he's parked his truck in the middle of the street, and he's screaming, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna effing kill you. Don't nobody talk to my son that way. And I swear to God, what went through my mind was, at the time, Cody Sykes was the youth pastor, and I was like, if I get killed because Cody Sykes said something to his kid, I was like, what did Cody say? I didn't say nothing to nobody's kid, you know? But I just remember, like, I just kind of went into this mode, and I, I really hate to admit this, especially here in Texas, I didn't have a gun in the house. And why, I don't know. We had kind of just moved in here. And so... But all of a sudden, this guy kept running. He would run up to the door, and he's like, I'm fixing to kick this door, and I'm going to kill you. And so I gathered Leanne. I said, hey, get our kids. Wake our kids up. Go lock yourself in the bathroom upstairs. And so I'm trying to figure out how to handle this situation. So I, I go get my hunting knife, and <laughs> I get my knife, and he kept charging the front door, and I was like, he's fixing to kick in the door. So I, I stood behind the, the door frame. There was a window on the other side, so I stood behind where he couldn't see me. 
And I just started preparing and I, I'll never forget having these thoughts. I'm like, okay, how, I'm gonna hold the knife this way because if he comes in, I'm gonna have to hit him right in the neck. Like I, <laughs> and I remember thinking like, it's, a, it's not easy to hit that artery with this much adrenaline. So like, as I'm swinging with my left hand to the side of his neck, I'm gonna kind of tackling to give myself a couple of extra swings in there in case I miss the first time. And I mean, I just, all of a sudden I became aware of the fact that like, I am literally losing it right now. Like I'm going straight Rambo, like ready to cut this guy up. And I call, and I, we'd called the police and the police were taking forever to get there. And finally, I think he just, I don't know if he was drunk or high or what, but he just finally got back in his, well, he got in his truck once and he circled or he left. And I was like, oh, he's gone. No, he just was making a lap. He was thinking about what he was going to say next time. So then he came up and charged again. It was this whole deal. And I just remember this adrenaline rush, this adrenaline rush, right? My, I just went into a completely different state. I, I know this to be true. When we're in seasons of war, when we're in seasons of fighting, there, there's an appropriate behavior in that. And I saw that in that particular vision with that warrior where it's like he's carrying his sword and he's still like, he's still like on the edge. He's still got that adrenaline rush and he's, 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 he's got his sword in his hand and if you were to spook him, you might get cut. War's over, but you still might get cut a little bit. Like it's, he's not really sure. And, but the, what I was aware of, he's supposed to be putting down his sword. War is over and it's time to return to love. It was time to return to intimacy with his wife. And I just felt like the Lord was speaking, saying we've been, in a, lot, in a lot of ways as a country, we've been in a season of war. Now, unfortunately, the war has never been against people, but we've turned it against people. So we, if, you, if you're not on the same side of the political aisle, if you're not on the same side of what's going on with COVID or the vaccine or masks, it's like there's all this intense anger and fighting and warring against some of the dumbest, the dumbest stuff. And, and I... Again, I, I think there has been an attack of the enemy on, on our country, for one. And I think, but we've turned, we've felt the attack, but we've turned it against people. And I just, in a moment, I just felt like the Lord was saying, hey, it's time to put down your sword and love again. It's time to put down your sword and love again. In, in John chapter 13, he says, my children, verse 33 says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I'll tell you where I'm going, you can't come. A new command I give you, love one another as I loved you. We're gonna come back to that. But he says, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We, we mentioned this earlier, you've got all these gifts. The world's not gonna know we're the real deal because we speak in tongues. I'm not against speaking in tongues, I'm for speaking in tongues, but that's not what proves it. The world's not gonna know that we're the real deal because we prophesy or because we give so much away, because we're martyrs, because we have all this wisdom and understanding and all this faith. The world's gonna know that we're the real deal if we actually have love one for another. There are so many things we could equip you with and want to equip you with. But first and foremost, as believers, we must be equipped with love. We have to be equipped with love. I, I went through a season of my life where um, I had a radical encounter with the Lord. It kind of it, it messed with my theology in a lot of ways. And I just remember it was the greatest encounter I'd ever had in my Christian life. And so as a, 
as a part of the follow-up to this, I began to study some things, and I, and I felt the Lord tell me and direct me to only study about Jesus, grace, and the finished work of the cross. And if, you've been here, if you were here in the early, early days of our church, uh, I, didn't pre- I really didn't preach anything other than Jesus, grace, and the finished work of the cross. In fact, I even had uh, people leave our church just all hot and bothered, and they're like, well, all you ever preach about is, is Jesus and grace, and there's a whole lot more of that Bible you know. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I read the Bible too. This is just what he told me to preach. And I, I would go home at times, so even sometimes frustrated with if people didn't like what I was saying or whatever. I, I knew that conviction was there to, to do this, and I would even ask Leanne, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I preached this same message like for the last month. Is this getting boring? And she's like, no, I swear, it's, it's, it's working, it's working, it's working. And in that season, a strange thing began to happen. I would, I would go to the office every day, and I, my goal was to study on Jesus, grace, the finished work of the cross. And after a while of doing this, it's like I got so full, I would, I would go in to study, and all of a sudden, when I would turn my attention toward Jesus, the tangible presence and the, and the love of God would overwhelm me. And before I knew it, I was just in the floor crying. I just, and again, I'm not, I'm not like an emotional person. In fact, most of my life, I was pretty certain that the only emotion I had was aggression. Like, I, I thought that's all I had. Like, I wasn't really an emotional kind of a person. But man, I just turned into a little, a little ball bag. Is that, that's, that's what we used to call them. This is a ball bag. Uh, um, I just was crying all the time. I was so sensitive. I was so tender. But, and the weirdest thing began to happen. My, in my mind, there had been things I had been working on. I knew according to Scripture, I knew according to the, the laws of love that I should be more patient, more kind, more gentle. More, there was things I was wanting to be, and I knew in my mind I was supposed to be those things for my wife, for my kids, as a leader, as a pastor. But it didn't always translate into my behavior. It's a lot like what Paul said. He's like, that thing I hate, I do. The thing I love, I don't do. I'm trying to figure this thing out. But all of a sudden, when I w- in this season of my life, I was, I was going to Jesus. I was looking at him. I was gazing upon the, the cross. I was thinking about his goodness. I was thinking about his grace. And I would feel the overwhelming love of God. And what was interesting is the more I experienced the love of God, the more I was able to give the love of God. The more I experienced it, the more I was able to give it. I propose you can't give a love you've never received. Let me read this in Ephesians. This is when I think, this is Paul talking to the Ephesians. It's a prayer, actually, to the the church in Ephesus. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love. Where are we supposed to be rooted and grounded in? Not signs, wonders, miracles, none of those things. We're supposed to be rooted and grounded in his love. And it'll keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And I love this part. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. The love of God cannot be comprehended. The fullness of the love of God can only be experienced, and you won't have words for it. If you've ever encountered the love of God, the tangible love of God, it, you'll, you'll feel it in worship sometime. There's a guy I talked to, he's a, he's a part of our church, a very, very faithful part of our church, and I laugh because even, even to this day, sometimes I just wanna say, hey, like, you need to look like you're having like, fun in worship. Like I, I watch him, he's still, he just, he's just kind of sitting there. 
I mean, we got people screaming, hollering, jumping, doing all kinds of stuff and worship. Everybody's just going after it, and he's just back there. We were talking one day, and he said, uh, he said, man, I just love this church. He, I, he said, I just love this church. He said, he goes, I'm tell you what I love the most. I just love the worship. And I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. I've seen you worship. You don't love it. He said, no, man, I just, something, something about worship when we're in that environment, I just, the Lord speaks to me so much, and I just, I feel him in a way that I never feel him in anything else. I love the word. I love the message, and you're a great preacher. But I'm just telling you, he said, I just, I love the worship. And I said, you know, you should tell your face that. Because it does not project that. But we were kind of, I was just kind of messing with him. But it's like some, oftentimes in worship, because what are we, what's going on in worship? We're taking our eyes off of this and we're doing this. That's what Leanne was talking about. When, when we're singing, I exalt thee, we're, we're lifting him up and putting him up and putting him in the place that he belongs. And when worship goes up, love comes down. And you get in those environments of worship. I was watching my man right here, like during worship, like looks like somebody stuck a hot shot to him and just electrocuting him. It's like something in this atmosphere of worship Things are happening that your mind cannot explain. You're feeling the tangible presence of God in a way. When I look at Him, I feel the tangible presence of God. I feel the love of God in the room. We've had multiple people come and say, I don't know, there's just something different about this church. Long before they ever heard a message, they knew they could feel something was different. You know, we read that earlier in, in, in John 13, there in verse 33, 33 and 34. He, he says, a new command I give you. I don't think our screens are working, so I'm just going to have to say some of it. But he says, you know, we, we, we talk about that we still have to do the Ten Commandments. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, uh, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He's, he's being tested. Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it went from ten in the Old Testament to two when Jesus showed up. And then there in John chapter 13, he's, this is his closing remarks. He's just finished the Last Supper with his disciples. And he's, in his closing remarks, he goes, oh, by the way, a new command I give you. It's singular. He says, love people, but not just any way. Love them the way that I've loved you. And he even knew prophetically, I'm fixing to show you a love that you didn't even know existed. The scripture says, no greater love than a man laid down his life for his friends. They didn't even know what he was fixing to do yet. But when they saw him on the cross, it's like I believe with all of my heart they're, they're in their ears they, or in their spirit, they knew, oh my gosh, this is what he was talking about. I don't, I don't know a love like this. I don't, I don't understand, I can't comprehend this. But he says, the new command, the new command of the, the command of the new covenant is to love, not anyway, love people the way he has loved you. I propose you can't even fulfill the only commandment that there is left under the new covenant of loving people like Jesus loved you unless you first received his love. You have to have a, as weird as this may sound, you have to, you have, to have a regiment, you, you have to discipline yourself to get under the love of God and allow him to love you. Because if you don't experience it, you won't know what to give. If you don't taste it, you won't know what to give. If, you don't, if, you, if it doesn't happen to you first, you won't even know what it looks like to give other people. I was telling the story earlier, I was going through this season where I was experiencing the love of God and I, again, I, was, I knew I was supposed to be doing better in certain things, but it's like the more I was in his love, all of a sudden I was loving my wife better. 
I was loving my, I was more gentle. I was more patient. I was more kind. I heard a guy say this the other day. He was at a family reunion or something, and all of his family was over at his house. This was the granddad. And he, he said the grandkids were just driving him nuts. And so he just got out of the house and went to his uh, wood shop. And he, he goes to his wood shop, and he said, he said I just kind of said this to the Lord. He's like, Lord, please give me patience for these kids. And he said the Lord spoke very cl clearly. He says, you don't need more patience. You need more love. Love is patient. I think there's a lot of things that we wouldn't be fed up with if we had more love. Because love suffers long. Love suffers long. Love, love believes there's another way to see something. This, this, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day when I was kind of preparing this. You know, when, when a lot of the COVID stuff started coming out and no one really knew what to, how to respond and should you open your church, should you close your church? And, you know, everybody's kind of fighting over stuff. But one of the things we decided to do is when we opened the church back up, we didn't require you wear masks. I know a lot of churches did. And uh, we didn't. And I just remember watching some people walk in with their mask on. And I just thought, man, how many barriers they had to overcome to be the one, especially in Texas, because, you know, Y'all know what I'm saying. Texans just are different. Some of my friends from California, they're like, I don't even think Texans believe in COVID. Like, I don't even, I don't think they believe in it. <laughs> and I'm a big smarter like too. I was like, no, we believe in it. We're just tougher than it is. Like, it's you Californians that keep sending it to all these other states, you know. I'm joking if you're from California. But I just, I, I just started thinking like, I was thinking about, and I remember there was one particular individual, I don't know why I keep remembering, that he sat, it was a couple of them, but one in particular, he sat over here and he wore his mask for, for forever. And I just thought like, I hope he feels that even though none of us are wearing our mask, that even though he's choosing to wear his, we may have a difference of an opinion. We love him enough to have a different opinion. I'm watching this thing with the vaccine. Like, I, you know, well, I almost told you, I'm not, I'm not vaccinated, not because I don't believe in it. I'm just, I'm not, and I haven't felt a conviction. But I have a lot of my friends that are, and I'm like, it's, it's crazy that we have drawn lines in the sand of like, we don't have enough love in our heart to entertain that they also could have heard from the Lord if they did something other than what you did. Or how about this? They voted different than you voted. And do we have enough love do we have enough love for the people that are completely not like us? By this they will know that you are my disciples. This is how people are gonna know they're the real deal. I'm fully aware, especially in Lubbock, when we first moved to Lubbock and planted the church in Lubbock, you, you get a reputation. We kind of have it already here. We're like, oh, that's that church, man. They believe in, they believe in all this stuff, man. Signs, wonders, miracles. And I've heard people come to us and say, man, we, we were looking for a church like you. We, we, we wanted to see worship like this and all these different things. And I, I think that's great. I want people to know that we believe in the gifts. I want people to know that we believe. But maybe more than anything, I'm, I'm still waiting for like, you know what? The reason I come to this church is because you actually love people. You actually genuinely love people. Yeah, you prophesy, you do all the things, but there's, I, I feel loved. I know I'm loved when I'm there, no matter whether I'm white, black, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, South side, North side, vax, no vax, Republican, Democrat. The love is big enough to embrace every single person on the planet. 
in your, in your mind, I, I want you just to try to, I'm, I'm trying to help you see what I saw. I saw this, this warrior. He, he's got the blood and sweat and the sword and he comes into the tent and he's got this, there was this big bowl and he just began to wash the remnants of war off of him. And he began to, in his heart, began to transition to say, okay, the war is over, it's time for intimacy. I would, I would just propose that you, when whatever, whatever that means to you, ask the Lord, Lord, what does that look like for me? How, how do I make this transition into love? If it's time to love again, what does that need to look like? What does that need to look like for me? There's things that I'm working on doing personally where I, I want to, I don't want people to say you're a great leader. I don't want people to say you've, you've, you've done this or that. I want people to say you love everybody well. And I would just encourage you to ask. There's little things I know the Lord's prompted in me. Hey, this is an area to, to work on. First and foremost, I know I got to get in. I got to get under his love before I can give his love. I've got to make sure I'm spending time. Even this last week, I'm like, you know, when, you're, when we planted another campus and you're having to rework all the way things work, even the way the church government works, how things get done, how budgets get set. It just, it was a whole nother thing. And it's taken us some time to try to figure out what this was gonna look like. And so I, I had been noticing, I just been noticing I was feeling dry. And all of a sudden the Lord just began to show me, you're spending a lot of time fixing problems in the ministry, fixing problems in the church. And you used to spend a lot of time with me. And it was like a, an invitation of saying, hey, just spend more time with me and then we will fix the problems. <laughs> From the position of love, there's so much going on. We can wake up in the morning, I'm like, I gotta get this done, I gotta get this done, I gotta get this done. I encourage you, get into worship. Get, get, into, a, get into a state of getting your eyes up. If you don't listen to worship on a regular basis, you should. Get in that, get in that posture of worship, get in that uh, environment of worship. It doesn't have to be a service like this in a big room to get into worship. You know, every now and then your kids, a lot of times with your kids, you're just like, you know what, I'm pretty sure we're failing. I look at you and I just realize we're, we're, we're failing. Like I, we didn't do anything right and I, I don't even think you're going to survive in the wild. Like I don't know how this is going to work out. Yeah. But then, then there's those moments where you're like, oh, something worked, you know. And the other day Suzanne was telling Leanne, she said, hey, um, there's that song by Brandon Lake called Graves in the Gardens. Y'all know that song? It's a pretty like passionate, aggressive type worship song. And Leanne, uh, Susanna comes to Leanne. She's like, hey, do we do, do we do that song Graves in, Graves in the Gardens? Or Graves in Gardens, whatever it is. And Leanne's like, well, I think we've done it before, but I don't, we don't really do it that much. And she's like, man, we need to do that song. And she's like, I was just coming home from school. And she's like, all of a sudden I just realized I am screaming this psalm at the top of my lungs, like just shaking my steering wheel and banging on the steering wheel while I'm driving. And it's like, of course, we kind of laugh at it, but I just, it, in, my, in my heart as a dad, I went, okay, we're doing something right because she doesn't just worship when she's at church. She's a worshiper. It's, it's a part of her DNA. This is like when I get in the truck, I put on worship in it. I don't need to be in this room to go into his presence and feel that where I just want to scream something. And I, <laughs> you gotta be careful how you, how you take this, but like, I just want, I want us to be a church full of lunatics driving around town, like just, I want your hands to be sore from playing the drums on your dash and like, I was doing it one day with Leanne and like, I was just like, 
<laughs> and then Le- I noticed that Leanne was sitting over there, and I knew she'd get mad, so I just all of a sudden used her shoulder as one of my drums. I mean, I just, I want, honestly, like, I think it just, it's something that, like, you've got to create a habit of a lifestyle of worship because I'm telling you, something happened. When my eyes go up, my attention goes up, his love comes down. I cannot do this love command. If I, I cannot love the way he loves unless I'm living under the fountain of his love. I have to live there. We have to live there. We have to become worshipers. We have to become those that aren't just trying to be puffed up with knowledge of the word. We're encountering the word himself who is Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.